You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open Holy Scripture this afternoon to Matthew chapter 26. We read together the verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping, because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Let us turn to Lord's Day 15 of the Heidelberg Catechism, where... Scriptural doctrine of the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ is summarized. There we read, What do you confess when you say that he suffered? During all the time he lived on earth, but especially at the end, Christ bore in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. Thus by his suffering... As the only atoning sacrifice, he has redeemed our body and soul from everlasting damnation and obtained for us grace of God, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? Though innocent, Christ was condemned by an earthly judge and so freed us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Does it have a special meaning that Christ was crucified and did not die in a different way? Yes. Thereby I am assured that he took upon himself the curse which lay on me, for a crucified one was cursed by God. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, people suffer. Some people suffer a lot. When you visit a hospital, you see it before your very eyes. 
If you've ever walked through a cancer ward, you see sheer exhaustion etched on the faces of the patients in that part of the hospital. Round after round of chemotherapy, radiation treatment, takes its toll on a person. Fevers, nausea, and then fatigue. Heart patients waiting for bypass surgery, and, and some of those patients, brothers and sisters, are so incredibly short of breath, they can't walk to the end of the hall and back. Sometimes it's hard to walk through a hospital. So much suffering, pain. And what's even worse than that is when little children have to suffer. If you've ever walked through a children's hospital, you know what it can be like. Young, young children, and they don't understand. They don't understand what's all going on. All they know is it hurts. They cry and cry and cry some more. And it doesn't even have to be sick children that suffer. Healthy children can suffer too. Sometimes you look at a child, you look them in the eyes, and you can just tell. That's a burdened child. Whatever all is going on in that young life and in that young heart and in that young mind, but you can just see it in their eyes. That little soul is carrying far too much weight than it really should. And over the years, if you've lived along with people in the church, you know that God's people are by no means exempt from these kinds of sufferings. Agonies of the body, diabetes, cancer, heart difficulties, agonies of the mind, depression, phobias, personality problems, agonies of the soul, loneliness, grief, melancholy. It's all here, right, in our own churches and congregations. The children of God are sometimes seemingly shackled to the anchors of suffering. And in the midst of all of this human suffering and misery and agony, there stands our Savior. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of whom the prophet Isaiah said, He is a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. The question for you this afternoon, brothers and sisters, is what are you looking for from that man, from that Savior? Are you looking for sympathy from the man familiar with suffering? Because he can sympathize. Word of God, Hebrews, is perfectly clear about that. Jesus Christ has gone through the difficulties and the agonies of this life. He knows what it's like from the inside. And so when you go through difficulties, He is a high priest who can sympathize with what you're going through. But is that all that you are looking for from the man of sorrows? Sympathy? He came, brothers and sisters, not merely to sympathize, but to save. And so I may proclaim to you 
the salvation of Christ's sorrows. And we do so focusing on the words that came from his very own mouth in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. We see that Christ suffered as a sacrifice. Secondly, he suffered before the judge. And finally, on the cross. There are a number of different factors which determine how well or not well we cope with suffering. The first, brothers and sisters, is how long the suffering goes on. If you have a bad case of the flu, well, that's unpleasant. But in your own mind, you say to yourself, look, a few days, maybe a week, ten days at the most, but that too will pass. It's different if you have a chronic condition, congenital heart disease, or any other kind of lifelong condition. That makes it harder to cope with. It's also a matter of how much of you is involved in the suffering. In Proverbs, Solomon wisely said, a man's spirit sustains him in his sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. If your body is sick, that's one thing. Your spirit can help you through that. But brothers and sisters, if your spirit, if your soul is crushed by the burdens of life, well, that's another story altogether. It also makes a difference what kind of support circle you have around you. If you go through it all by yourself, that's harder than if you have a good solid circle of family, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord to help you through it. We understand that. But probably the biggest factor in whether we are able to cope or not cope with the suffering is who is causing you to suffer and why? If somebody at work or at school is putting you through a difficult time, well, that's not nice. And let's not underestimate that either. If you have to get up every morning and go to that job or you have to go to that classroom and you know that more than likely you're going to have to face some nasty stuff, that's no small thing. But if it's your own blood brother or sister, if it's your, your, your own son or daughter, or your own dad or mom, or if it's your own spouse who's causing you the difficulties, causing you the sufferings, well, that's a whole different thing. Then it comes that much harder and heavier upon you. Especially when you don't understand why. Or if you have the idea that really you are suffering caused by that other person, but you're not the issue. It's some other thing in their life, whatever it may be, but they're taking it out on you. That happens actually a lot, brothers and sisters. How long, how much of you is involved in the suffering, what kind of support you have or don't have, and finally, and above all, who's causing you the suffering? That's what makes the difference. Now, how do all of these things affect our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in His suffering? 
How long did he suffer, brothers and sisters? The short answer is from the cradle to the cross. From the beginning of his life here on this earth to the very end, the last breath he took. Brothers and sisters, there wasn't a day of reprieve, of relief. The suffering started when his life started. And it went step by step by step. It became more and more and more intense. And for our Savior, there was no break. There was no day, week, hour, year in which He could just sit back and say, Ah, finally no suffering. It was always there. And it only got worse. How much of Christ was involved in the suffering? Sometimes a lot of attention is put on the physical bodily suffering that our Savior had to go through. And it's true. He had to go through some awful physical pain. Think of that scourging, that that, that whipping that they did to Him in the Praetorium. A leather whip, usually with, with little chunks of metal in it, lashing His back again and again and again until it was a mangled mess of flesh and blood. Nailing his own hands, his feet to the cross. I hardly imagine what kind of pain that causes. Barbaric, ruthless. But for Christ, that wasn't the worst. The worst was the suffering of the soul. He said it himself and we read it together. It was not the physical fatigue that, that brought him to the point of death. Matthew 26, verse 28, Jesus said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. His soul was brought right to the breaking point. You know what that's like, brothers and sisters? Sometimes the difficulties and the stress, they they press down on you so heavily that you say, I have to step back. I need some kind of break, some kind of relief. I can't handle it anymore. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm going to snap. Well, brothers and sisters, this is the kind of language. Indeed, our Savior is God. And as we confess in the Catechism, it was the power of His divine nature it was the power of the very truth that He was God that brought Him through these sufferings. But don't think for a minute that simply because He was God, He could sail through all of this like a schooner on fair seas. Hardly. Listen to what He says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. It almost killed Him. That's how great his suffering was. It involved all of his body and all of his soul to the point of almost splitting his soul. And the more intense the agony becomes, the less support he receives. Usually it's the other way around. If you have the flu, you do not expect that, that people are going to send you cards and call you and, and, and perhaps even make meals for you just the flu. But if you have been diagnosed with a very, very serious, maybe even chronic illness, then you expect 
and all things being well, that should happen as well, that this support increases. People pay more attention to you. But with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it was just the opposite. Job once said that a despairing man should have the devotion of his friends, but that's not what Jesus received. Here he was, coming to closer and closer to the cross, and he took the three closest, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. If there were any he should have been able to count on, it was those three men. And what did they do, brothers and sisters? In his hour of need, they fell asleep on him. And even after he wakes them up and asks, can you, can you men please not stay awake and pray with me? Fall asleep on him again. But the fact that his disciples fell asleep on him and eventually just forsook him, abandoned him, ran away, that was not even the worst of it. Brothers and sisters, the worst was that he was forsaken by his own father. That voice that came from the cross. That voice which came in his native tongue, his mother tongue that he learned growing up in his family. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That, brothers and sisters, is the most intense. That was the suffering to top all sufferings. That God, that his own eternal Father forsook him and that the wrath of God came upon him. As our Lord and Savior went through his life, he suffered from this person and that person. Jewish leaders made life difficult on him. His own disciples could make life difficult on him. And certainly the evil one, Satan, went after him. But Jesus knew, brothers and sisters, that through all of those things, and without excusing any of the people who did what they did, that ultimately it was part of the wrath of God for the sins of the world coming heavier and heavier upon Him. And He did it, brothers and sisters, not only to sympathize with you, but to save you. For that is the only way that you and I can be saved, that the sacrifice would be made for our sins. You see, what we need most is not sympathy, but sacrifice. And that's what Christ gave. The only atoning sacrifice for all of your sins. And brothers and sisters, this is what gives you comfort and strength when you suffer. It's a rather common thing that when we go through suffering, we compare ourselves to other people. We try to find someone in our realm of acquaintances who actually has suffered worse than we are at the present. And we say, well, it's very difficult to go through what we're going through now, but at least we don't have it as bad that person, or as that family. We always try to find someone who has it worse. And somehow we, we, we hope to draw strength and comfort from that. But it's a bit hollow, wouldn't you say? 
Is it really a solid comfort if you are suffering on the Richter scale of suffering an earthquake of 6.5, but you manage to find someone else who's suffering at at 7.5 or 8.5? You're still suffering at 6.5, and that's the point. But instead of trying to compare ourselves with all kinds of other people, look at it in relation to the sufferings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the first place, brothers and sisters, there is no scale to compare between us and the Lord. His suffering, so much greater, infinitely greater, that you can't put it on the same number line. But beyond that, He was suffering. He did suffer for your salvation. He suffered the wrath of God. And that's a different kind of suffering. It's not just quantity, but it's quality, brothers and sisters. He suffered the wrath of God so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. He went through the agony of hell itself so that we don't have to go into eternal damnation. And so you can say, when you look at your suffering in the light of Christ's suffering, yes, this is difficult. This may even be really, really difficult. But my Lord and Savior has suffered for my salvation. He's taken the wrath of God. I may have to suffer for the purification of my faith. I may have to suffer as a part of, 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 of discipline in this life. And what father is there who doesn't discipline his son? Certainly the Heavenly Father does. But at least we don't have to suffer the wrath of God for the sins of the human race. My brothers and sisters, having said all that, we still remember that there is a day coming when we have to face the judge. And as part of his sufferings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ also faced a judge, Pontius Pilate by name. He went and stood in the courtroom on our behalf. And to to understand this, we have to follow through the events. Jesus went first to the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin. And there, upon all kinds of false accusations, he was condemned. They said he's a blasphemer. He must die. But that Jewish court couldn't work that out. It couldn't execute the death penalty because they had the Romans over them and they were not authorized to do that. So they took Jesus from the Jewish court to the Catholic court. You say Catholic court, not in the sense of Roman Catholic, but in the sense of the worldwide court. For that court of Pontius Pilate was the court of Rome. The Rome was the ruler of the known empire at that time. That court there, brothers and sisters, represented a worldwide empire. And you see, that's the point. Jesus didn't just suffer before the Jewish court because Jesus was coming to save far more than just the Jewish people. He came to save the people of the world. It was now time for the Catholic Church to be gathered in. And so Christ was transferred 
from the Jewish court to the world court, the Catholic court. And there he entered as an innocent man. And the judge who represented Rome even said it. Official proclamation from the judge's own mouth. He said, this man is innocent. I find nothing, nothing in this man that makes him worthy of death. And yet, officially declared innocent, he was officially condemned to die. Why? Also that, one day, when you enter the greatest, most worldwide Catholic courts that there ever will be, the final courtroom, that you might be saved. For brothers and sisters, completely unlike Jesus Christ, we walk into that courtroom in and of ourselves as guilty. We are not innocent. Unofficially, officially, whichever way you want to look at it, we're guilty. And how could it ever be that guilty people walk into a court, the court of God, and yet come out acquitted? Only one way, that our Lord and Savior went into the court before we did. He went in innocent, but condemned to die as a guilty man. So that one day, we who are guilty may enter that courtroom of God, but exit acquitted, free declared to be innocent in Christ. Do you see how much greater it is to receive salvation than merely sympathy? And finally, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ suffered on a cross. And it was that cross, that piece of wood to which he was nailed, it was that cross which brought so much agony and grief on his soul as he was already in the garden of Gethsemane. When the Lord Jesus Christ prays, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup, that word cup, may this cup be taken from me. We will not understand the cup unless we connect it to the cross. That is what that cup really is in its fullness, in its depth, in its dregs. That cup is the cross. And yes, that cross was a, was a barbaric way to execute people. The physical suffering, especially when it was drawn out and sometimes crucifixions lasted a long time. But it was an awful way to have to die. But for your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it wasn't the physical pain in the first place that caused Him to pray, if it is possible, my Father, may this cup be taken from me. It was the suffering of the soul. Because the cross stood for the curse of God. Brothers and sisters, when you read through the Scripture, in your evening devotions, your supper time devotions, as you read through the Scripture, 
Hopefully, you don't skip over Deuteronomy. Hopefully, you read that book of the Bible, and hopefully you don't skip over Deuteronomy 28 either. That chapter, which is a long one, some 60 verses, after describing the blessings of the covenant, then goes on at length. You might need two days to read through it all. But it goes at length about the curse of God for covenant people who do not obey His commandments. Once you are to read Deuteronomy 28, and after you've read that, read question and answer 39. For once you have read, even if it takes you a couple of days, through the details of the curse of God, one agony and horror and and, and curse and, and difficulty after another, after another, for verse upon verse upon verse. And then you read, I am assured that Christ took upon Himself the curse which lay on me. And you cannot help but rejoice for what Christ has done for you. We cherish the covenant. We emphasize the covenant. And rightly so, brothers and sisters, we are delighted that we may see young children of the covenant, infants, newborns, being baptized. We hear about the promises. We hear about the privileges of belonging to the covenant. But brothers and sisters, don't forget, the covenant cuts two ways. For those who obey, it's blessing. For those who disobey, it's curse. And we're all disobeyers. But it is the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who took the full weight of that awful curse on His shoulders so that we might never have to go through it. And that, brothers and sisters, is the depth of His suffering and it's the height of our thankfulness. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.